I'm interested in Acts chapter 23. While you're turning there, over the next four weeks, uh, a few of the men will be teaching from the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, it's my assignment to kind of set the table uh, for the book of 2 Timothy, uh, some of which you may be aware of, some not, but we want to look at it historically and biblically, of course, in the light of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul is somewhere in his late 60s, is the estimate. He has been ministering for the Lord uh, almost 40 years, and his teaching of the Word of God and his uh, ministry of the Word of God, he has reached the point where he recognized that his Jewishness, his, uh, his ministry as a uh, rabbi, as a Pharisee, was all wood, hay, and stubble. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and was gloriously saved and began serving Christ right from the start. But as he ministered for the Lord Jesus Christ, he found opposition wherever he went, particularly among the Jews. Uh, as he ministered for Christ and said that Christ was the only way to heaven, the only source to have eternal life was through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in his shed blood. And he, he attempted to prove that and did prove that through the Old Testament scriptures, but the Jews became hostile toward him no matter where he went. Now forgive me, this is a little bit of old technology, but um, the Apostle Paul was on three missionary journeys. His first missionary journey with Barnabas, they left this place called Antioch of, of uh, this is Antioch of Syria, and he left this island, I mean this uh, mainland here, and he traveled down through this uh, island of Cyprus along with Barnabas. You know, of course, in the book of Acts, it was a great division among them. They separated, and Paul continued his ministry up into what we know to be Turkey, or what was Asia at the time. All through this area, all the seven churches of the Revelation are found in here. The church at Ephesus, you know very, very well, Colossae, letters written to New Testament churches. Paul ministered on uh, three different missionary journeys. The second missionary journey brought him up into this area of Ephesus, up in this area. And then finally, here at we know to be Troas, he went over and he went into what we know to be Greece. This, the northern part, is called uh, 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 Macedonia, and the southern part called Achaia, which contains, of course, Athens. The Aegean Sea right here is where the Apostle Paul uh, journeyed uh, most often down along the coastline. This is where, of course, the Apostle John up in this area was sent to the island of Patmos. On his third missionary journey, Paul traveled up through the length of Greece, up and through this area, all through Turkey, up through the length of Greece, and as he got into Greece, he, got a, he was made aware that there was a problem coming up, and he tried to return back, all the way back to Jerusalem as we know it. When he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested there in Jerusalem, and he was sent to a port city because the Jews in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. The Romans sent him to a port city down here called Caesarea, Caesarea Maritima. There... He was under house arrest, under Roman house arrest, but he was in very, very nice accommodations. We are in the book of Acts. Look with me, please, at chapter 23, and we'll pick it up in verse 32. 
Acts 23 and in verse 32. On the next day, they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the barracks. These were the Jews in Jerusalem. They returned back to the barracks, and Paul is left at Caesarea. Verse 33, who, when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province was Paul. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear thee uh, when your accusers are come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Paul spent the next two years as accusers came and left, came and left, as governors came and left. Paul spent the next two years in Caesar's or Herod's judgment hall there in the capital city of uh, Jerusalem, a capital Roman city, a magnificent city built right on the sea by the Romans called Caesarea in honor of Caesar, of course. But Paul spent, if you would, two years in what we would know to be a Hilton. That's where he stayed, two full years. Great accommodations. He's still under house arrest. He's still limited, but his friends could come and visit with him. So he spent two years in comfort, if you would, there at Caesarea. He was then brought from Caesarea to Rome after a two-year period of time after a tremendously horrific journey by boat all along the Aegean Sea up into this area, up into the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, where eventually he landed on Mylita or Malta in a, in a tragic shipwreck. Uh, and uh, later he was transferred back up to Rome. In Rome, he was also in great accommodations. Turn with me to Acts chapter 28. In Acts chapter 28, Paul is in Rome, and he's waiting to go before the governor, I mean, the, the, uh, to Caesar, and we don't have a record of him actually appearing before Caesar at this particular time. But he's on trial up there in Rome. And notice we pick it up in Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerns the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So again, he's in his own hired home there in Rome. He's under incarceration. He writes what we know to be the prison epistles. You can see that, obviously, in your studies. But he writes them right there, and we have no further history. I remember one of uh, the men that I love so much, Dr. John Whitcomb, he says, I wish there was an Acts 29. We would know so much more, but that's where God leaves us concerning the journeys of Paul, right there in Acts chapter 28. Apparently, and we say apparently historically because of our readings from 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul was released about two years after this event. He was kept for two years in Rome, and now he's released two years later. What did he do in those two years? We don't know. Uh, What letters did he write to other churches? We don't know that. God has not given us that within our scriptures. What happened to Paul? We don't know that. But why did he write 2 Timothy? Because he was arrested once again. Most likely, most likely, historically speaking, he was arrested in Troas. Now, I want to show you that. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of 2 Timothy for a moment. 
Paul is now uh, free, and he uh, apparently is arrested in Troas in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Troas is up here. It's a capital city in Asia. Paul is right here in Troas, apparently, because as he writes this letter to Timothy, he asks Timothy for some very uh, interesting information. He says, first of all, he says in verse... uh, in verse 9, he, uh, look at verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So he's recalling Timothy to be with him. Timothy apparently is right here at Ephesus. And he tells Timothy, I want to see you, but it's over here in Rome. So I would like to see you here in Rome. Do your diligence to come unto me. In verse 10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans unto Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. So he has sent his missionary team throughout the world for the sake of Demas, who has forsaken him, but he sent his missionary team out through the world, and he says, only Luke is with me. That doesn't mean, oh, and you know what that's like to have Luke with you. What it means is he's blessed because Luke is with him, but he's the only companion he now has, and he's looking for uh, Timothy to come. Pick it up, please, in verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when you come, bring it with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. So Paul said, I left my coat, my cloak, my clothing in Troas. Now, because of that, historians estimate that Paul was probably arrested right here at Troas, right there, and brought to Rome and he's going to Rome, and he's going to be imprisoned in Rome, only not like the first and second imprisonments. This is a horrible imprisonment. He's going to be in what is known as a sewer. We see our men and women going up and down the road here in Rhode Island when they have this machine that dips down and it empties out our sewer systems, our, our water-held systems. It's not really... Um, sewerage in the true sense, but it's a a water system where they clean out all of the sewers along the road. You've perhaps seen that. Well, Paul was in one of them, but it was truly sewerage. It's called the Mamatine Prison. And that prison contained prisoners that were due to be executed. And what they would do with most of those folks is when their, their, their mock trials were held, they would open those gates of their sewer system that traveled by and just flood those people to death with sewerage. I know it's graphic, I know it's horrific, but many of these prisons have been found in Rome in our date, in our lifetime. Many of these prisons have been found where they just simply executed these people by drowning them. And by the way, that would probably be more merciful than having to go inside the Colosseum and deal with that. But At any rate, Paul is in prison. The question is, why is he back in prison? What has happened? Again, extra-biblically or historically, we read that during this time, somewhere around A.D. 64 or in A.D. 64, the Roman emperor Nero, Nero was a friend of the Christians at first, but uh, it is estimated he had a horrible disease, disease due to his own sinfulness. He had a horrible disease, And he began the process of urban renewal in Rome. 
That is, he had some of his men set a lot of Rome on fire. And the reason he did that is he wanted to rebuild Rome to the greatness of his glory, Nero. Unfortunately, the fire got out of control and it burned a great portion of Rome. And because Caesar did not want to, Nero did not want to take responsibility for that to avoid the public shame of it all, he accused the Christians of having set the fires because there was turmoil in Rome among the believers there. So he accused the the Christians of having set the fire and the Christians now came of the great persecution because the capital city of the known world in its day uh, was in fact uh, destroyed. And so from that, Christians began to become persecuted throughout the whole world. Remember, at this point, the whole world is under Roman jurisdiction. The whole world, Israel and uh, east, of, uh, east of Israel, all of what we know to be Europe, it's still under Roman jurisdiction because of the Roman might. So Paul has been arrested, and it does not look good for the Apostle Paul. He writes about this, uh, uh, I hate to call it adventure, but Paul writes about it and lets the Christians know that he is under arrest, but God is still working. Turn with me to 2 Timothy again, if you would, please. In verse uh, chapter 4, right in verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Perhaps a date has been set where Paul is going to be killed. Perhaps there's a date set. Uh, History tells us he was beheaded. We do not know that, but history would suggest that, that he was beheaded. The time of my departure is at hand. Perhaps the date had already been set. He's incarcerated. He's probably in chains. We read that from 2 Timothy where he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of my chains. He's probably chained to the wall in this horrible, horrible uh, prison storage system, if you would, without food, without water. They didn't bother with them at all. But he, of course, is recognizing that God is sovereign. Look at 2 Timothy 4. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2. And look at verse 9, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look at verse 9 for a moment. He says to Timothy that he's suffering as an evildoer. He's not an evildoer. He has done nothing wrong. And yet, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, pick it up in verse 9. He says, For which I trouble as an evildoer. I'm suffering trouble as an evildoer. He said, Even unto bonds or chains, but the word of God is not bound. What a great man. What a great man of God. He's in prison. He's, he, he, he's facing execution. He knows the time of his departure is at hand. He's asking Timothy to come quickly. And he says, I'm in bonds, but God's word is not bound. But Timothy now is facing a similar situation. A similar situation in that he perhaps is falling under criticism from Roman government because the Christians are now responsible for all the ills of the world. Do you know that we're kind of facing that? Not to any degree that these people did. So please don't think you're a martyr. You're not. But we're suffering persecution today as Christians because we say God's word is true. And the rest of the world says it isn't. 
The rest of the world says something evil about God's word. We say it's true, so we are facing, oh, those are Christians. They don't believe in this. They don't believe in that. They're, they're, they, uh, they try to hinder us. They're homophobes, and you, you know the whole line of, of thinking. Why? Because we believe what God says. And so we're facing that sort of thing today. But in Timothy's day, it was an unchecked government. They could do what they wanted. And Timothy apparently, a Timothy apparently was wavering. So Paul sends a letter to Timothy, first and second Timothy, first Timothy 67, 68, second Timothy. Paul sends him letters to tell him, be strong, be strong. Tough times are coming, Timothy. Be strong. Now, whether, Timoth- whether Paul received a letter from someone else or he got a message from Timothy or whether the Spirit of God just, just instilled in his heart what was going on with Timothy, we do not know that. But what we do know is all of Paul's letters was for, uh, in his correction to Timothy or his writings to Timothy was to encourage him in the faith. Now, I don't know about you. What would you be like if you thought, well, you're in prison here and you're suffering. It's not, you know, colored television. It's not all the stuff that you hear about. It's not three squares a day, you know, and heat and and medication. It's not all that. You're in prison and you are suffering. And you're about to be executed. (coughs) And you write a letter. What would it be like? What would it be like? By the way, I just want to encourage you before I die. Is that what you would write? Not me. My letter would be, get me out of here. Help me. Do anything you can to release me from this place. It's not fair. I don't deserve it. That's what my letter would be. Paul writes a letter to encourage a brother in Christ to keep on going. Paul knows he's leaving the scene, and he wants someone there that's going to pick up the mantle and carry the mantle of the gospel of Christ. And so we get into 2 Timothy, where Paul begins to write. So turn with me, if you could, please, to 2 Timothy. <clears throat> First of all, Paul is letting 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is letting Timothy know that he was called of God specifically. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, look with me, please, starting right in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that I be in the ministry. It's God's will that I'm an apostle. God's the one who called me out. God's the one who's given me the strength. And God wants me to write something to you. He's writing the word of God to Timothy. He says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole triune Godhead, Timothy, wants you to honor them. The whole triune God. Uh, Head wants you to have grace and mercy and peace uh, through, of course, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he remembers Timothy. He loved Timothy. This is so interesting. Uh, We won't turn there, but if you went to the book of uh, Philippians, uh, you you could read about Paul's uh, testimony about Timothy. I have no man like-minded. Timothy was a solid young man who seemed to love the Lord who was moving along in his Christianity. As a matter of fact, Paul so loved Timothy, he, he chose him out as an apostolic representative. You see Paul sending Timothy to Corinth and now to Ephesus. Uh, Paul sent Timothy many, many places in the, um, in the 
uh, hopes or uh, in, the, in the faith, I should say, that Timothy would go in and, and deliver letters, messages, be a gospel uh, herald for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Timothy did that. So he says in verse um, 3, I thank my God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. This is so interesting. In a pure conscience, Paul is in prison. Well, why are you there, Paul? Did you break a law? No, I didn't break a law. Why were you in Caesarea? Why were you in prison? Did you break a law? No, I didn't break a law. I'm not guilty of any of this. I have a pure conscience before God. The word conscience is is an interesting term. And I don't know how to describe conscience to you. There is, of course, a, 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 a biblical definition and a historical definition of this. It's a a, a pre-knowledge. It's a pre-knowledge. That is a, a, a recognizing, it's, it's a moral consciousness. I know something, and I know it right now, and I know it ahead of time. I have not done anything wrong. So let me give you a definition that I heard many years ago that I, I think really sails as far as I'm concerned in my own mind. It's when you know that God knows that you know. It's when you know that God knows that you know something. That's your conscience. You recognize it's either right or it's wrong. And you can hide it from everybody else. No one else knows. But God knows that you know that he knows. That's when your conscience comes into play. And Paul said, I have served God in a pure conscience. I've been doing what I ought to be doing when I ought to be doing it. Do you know anything else but a pure conscience is hypocrisy? The term hypocrisy, we have it as a nasty term, and it, and it is. It's to show you're double-minded. But it was based upon uh, the Greek performers. The Greeks were great performers. They were into the arts. And a man would stand on the, on the stage, and he would have two faces Uh, painted faces in his hand. And when he was a sad guy, he would put this face in front of him, and the lips, of course, would be down with a little frown on his face. And when he was a happy guy, he would put this mask in front of his face, which had a big smile on it. And so when someone is putting a mask in front of their face, and they're, they're, uh, they're not happy, they're very sad, they're being a hypocrite. They're showing a different face than what's really, really going on. So Paul is letting Timothy know that he was not a hypocrite at all. He was serving God with his whole heart and his whole mind. And then he says this, I have, in verse 3, he said, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He was praying for Timothy. What was he praying for Timothy? Well, as you read First and Second Timothy, you see that he was praying that Timothy would stand up like a man. He would stand up like a man. That Timothy would be a man of God that would honor the Lord with his life. Keep your hand here. We're coming right back. But head with me to First Timothy chapter 6, please. First Timothy chapter 6. I want you to notice, please, just one of the passages. We'll look at a few more later on. He says this in verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold, literally grab on, hold on to eternal life. 
uh, which you have, uh, which you are also called and has professed a good profession before many uh, witnesses. You were a good testimony. You were a, a strength. You have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's going on? Hold on to that now. Grab back onto that. Remember, we're told to hold off the good, push away, I mean, the evil in Thessalonians, and hold on to the good. Cling on, grab on to the good. Well, Timothy was told to hold off the, the thoughts of wickedness, to hold off being fearful, and hold on to the strength of the gospel, the good fight of faith. You know, in a world, it's easy to weaken. It, it is, and you know that. We're not under half the persecution that these men are under, even a tenth of the persecution that these men were under. However, it's easy for us to get caught up with people. You fear people. What will they say? What if they fire me? What if I lose my job? What if they're mad at me? What if they don't like me anymore? And we get caught up with people. We fear people. And, and we, we get shaken with people. Maybe you're not the testimony you ought to be in front of people at work. Why? They won't like you. Maybe you're not a testimony in front of your relatives. Why? They, they might never talk to you again. And we have certain fears in our life that we're afraid to show forth Christ. Timothy was afraid for his very life, for his very existence. And Paul let Timothy know, listen, you need to fight that good fight of faith. Timothy became faint-hearted. Look with me, please, at Ephesians chapter 3. Timothy became faint-hearted. Now, someday I'm going to see Timothy, and I don't want to be painting a wrong picture here, but I want you to see exactly what Paul said to him, warning Timothy about a weakness that apparently he was overcoming him. In Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 13, please. Ephesians 3.13. He says, Wherefore I desire, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Remember, he's imprisoned at this time in Rome. This isn't this, the last imprisonment. This is the, the one prior to that. He says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. They were becoming faint-hearted. They were becoming discouraged, disillusioned. The church at uh, Philippi experienced that same thing. Apparently they were praying, don't let Paul die, God, please don't let Paul die. What will happen if Paul dies? You know the answer? You'll now become accountable to carry the gospel. That's what it is. What happens when Pastor Rob dies? Well, that's it for the Cornerstone Church. I don't think so. We're based upon the word of God. What will happen when the men who began this church die? They're dead. What happened? The church continued on. Why? Because it's God's church. But God has men lined up. God has men ready. God wants men to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might to what? Carry on the gospel, not to faint. No matter what the circumstances are like, no matter what the problem is like, God wants men to carry on. Fight the good fight of faith. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Don't be faint-hearted. You know what it means to be faint-hearted? Weak need. There's other words for it that I won't care to tell you, but no backbone, concern, worried, if you would, allowing the times to push you around, allowing people to push you around instead of standing like a man. The bullies of this world are very successful when it comes to weak people, but those people that will stand up to them, they're not as... Brave. 
So Paul wants Timothy to recognize who he has as his support group. We hear a lot about support groups today. Who does Timothy have as a support group? The Lord Jesus Christ. No greater power in this world. No greater power in this world. It's not like, you know, I, I, my brother's bigger than your brother. I remember my brother, when we went to high school together, he was, in, he was a freshman, and I was a, I believe I was a junior. Well, anyway, uh, he got in a fight with a big guy in a cafeteria, and he said, Bill, get him. Whoa, you know. Whoa. So I tried, and we were both unsuccessful with this endeavor. But it's not like you have a big brother. No, you have a God, an all-powerful, mighty God. I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Why? Because my God is sovereign. My God is above everything else. He's the creator of everything. So Paul is reminding Timothy, go back to your God. And I'm here to remind you today, we need to go back to our God. You need to go back to your God. When you get faint-hearted, when you get weak-kneed, who's sovereign? God. Say, well, they could fire me. You think God can't pull off another job for you? Of course he can. You don't want to lose your job. You don't want to lose friendships. You don't want to lose relatives. That, all that is absolutely true. But who's sovereign in your life, them or God? Who's in control? Are they in control or is God in control? We're in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Look at verse 3, please. 2 Timothy 2. We'll pick it up right in verse 3 for a moment. Paul tells Timothy this, picking up in verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him. If any man strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. I'll stop right there. Look at verse 10. Therefore, endure all things for the elect's sake. So Paul is encouraging Timothy, just as a soldier, to soldier up, to man up. I don't know about you, but I don't want any of my uh, troops going into wherever they're going in the Middle East to fight against ISIL that a weak need. Do you? We want to send our best there. Why? Because it's a battle to the death. And they've got to win. And so what Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you're, in, you're engaged in a battle. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Though physical things may come upon you, it's a spiritual battle. And you've got to hold firm to the Lord. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 14. That good thing which uh, was committed unto you, keep. How? By your own strength? No. If you try to do anything by your own strength, you're destined for failure. You're destined for failure. Why? Because sooner or later, your strength is going to fail. Sooner or later. I used to really think I was something. I, I was a pretty good athlete. I, was, I used to box. I, I was a pretty good athlete. And then I had some work done on my knees. I had my knees replaced because of, I beat myself up so badly. And I remember I was crossing the street one day, and a cab was coming. And the cab didn't look like he was interested in me. Uh, and he was flying down the street, and I tried to run. And, you know, I could not run. I could not run. In, in my day, I was a great athlete. I was a wide receiver. I could run like the wind. And what happened to me? My body is failing me. My strength 
is not what it used to be at all, at all, at all. If you try to do anything in your own strength, sooner or later, it's going to fail you. But, he told Timothy, that good thing which is committed unto thee, keep, how? By the Holy Spirit. Spiritual strength will not fail you, but it needs exercise, doesn't it? It needs exercise. You need to exercise yourself unto godliness. That comes from the scriptures. If you read the word of God, God will build you up. He'll build you up with his word. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. See, you're required to stand, but God's word will give you the strength to do it. God's spirit will give you the strength to do it. So he's letting Timothy know, Timothy, stand up. Yes, tough times are upon you. Yes, it's difficult. We recognize that. But no, you're not defeated in Christ Jesus. You have the power to stand and to obey God's word. Paul is challenging Timothy to man up. That's what he's telling him. Continue on with me, if you could, please. He just wants to remind Timothy of a couple things now. He says in verse, uh, verse 4, Second Timothy uh, 1.4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, and being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. So Paul remembered Timothy. Timothy wept. The elders at Ephesus wept about uh, Paul uh, being, uh, leaving them, leaving the scene. Timothy apparently wept when Paul, uh, Paul said, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm headed off, I'm headed to uh, Spain, he said. But Timothy apparently wept, and Paul remembered the love that Timothy had for Paul. He says, notice in uh, verse 5, he said, I'm looking forward to seeing you. Now in verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that was in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I, persu- and I am persuaded that is also in thee. Your, your grandmother had a testimony for Christ. Your mother had a testimony for Christ, even though she was married to a Gentile man who apparently uh, did not believe. But she believed, her, her mother believed, uh, she believed, and they press, passed that on to Timothy as a structure in his life as a young man. And Paul said, that's the faith I'm persuaded that's in you. Therefore, verse 6, wherefore, remember when you read in the scriptures, wherefore, you ask, what is it therefore? Therefore, Timothy, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. The word there is to fan the flame. You have that in your ESV. Fan the flame. What happened? The flame was going out. See, Timothy was losing that, that strength, that spiritual strength. He, he was looking around at others. He was, he was looking at others and he was discouraged, if you would. He was perhaps afraid. He was becoming ashamed. And you see that in, in uh, the rest of, of verse chapter 1. Look with me, please, if you, please, if you would, in uh, verse 11. Verse 11. Paul's talking about... Uh, the gospel of Christ who saved him gloriously is going to bring him to glory with him in verse 10. He says, unto which I am appointed a, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for which cause I also suffer. 
Now, this is very interesting because Paul has told Timothy, and we won't take the time to go through this, but Paul has told Timothy that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're living for the Lord, you're going to be butted against by the, by the world. They're not going to like it. They just won't like it. Why? Well, you're one of those people. One of what people? People that believe the Bible, you see. And the Bible rubs up against their life. Why? Because they want to live a life contrary to the Word of God. They want to live in pleasure and sin. That's all there is to it. They don't want to be inhibited. They don't want to be restricted. They want to do what makes them feel good. And so when you say you represent the book, though they may not know all about the book, they know something that there's rules in that book, and I don't like it. And you know what else is interesting to me is if... They believe this book. That means they have to believe that there's a creator. And if they believe there's a creator, that means they're subject to him. And they don't want to be subject to anyone. And really, that's the heart of man. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So Paul said, I'm suffering as an evildoer, and I didn't do anything. And you will suffer as an evildoer. Why? Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer a persecution. However... Pick it up in verse 12. For which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. See, Timothy apparently was becoming ashamed. Do you know when that happens? The scriptures tell us that the fear of men, the fear of men brings that. When you're afraid of men, you'll begin to become ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what men will say say is devastating things against him. The world will say wicked things against him. Do they not? You've been around. They curse with his name. You say, well, that's just, no. That's cursing with his name. The world will be for the things that God is against. It's just as simple as that. Why? Because men do not seek after God, the scriptures tell us. They seek after God their way, not his way. What they want, not what he wants. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Why, Paul, why? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, totally convinced. The word persuade there means he was just kind of, yeah, I think I'll join that side. No, he was convicted about God's word. See, preferences, that's what you hold. That's what you hold. I hold a preference, a preference about what I like this and I don't like that. That's what... I hold as a preference. I can change my mind because after a while I begin to like that, and that's a little better. But conviction is what holds you. Are you convicted about the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you convicted about the Word of God? Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convicted that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You know what Paul just said? I don't want to die, but if they kill me, The next face I'll see is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all he cared about. And he was encouraging Timothy to keep that same faith, to be a man of God who loves the word of God, who is willing to stand for Christ no matter what. He told Timothy, it's time time to stand for God. It's easy to stand for God when there's no problems. It's time to stand for God when there is. And that's what Timothy was going through. So I've kind of set a platform for what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks as Paul
begins the process of encouraging Timothy in the faith. In the faith. So Timothy will stand. This is the last letter we have from the Apostle Paul. I wish there was so much more that we could read about him and understand about him, but we don't have it contained in the Scriptures. God says it's enough. This is all you need. Remember Peter told us he has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Right here. In the knowledge of him. The only book that God ever wrote, we have it. And we have it in our own language. And we have modern translations of it in case you have a hard time with the King James or other translations. We have in our modern language, you have our Bible, God's word for us to study, to learn, to know, and to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your revealed truth. Thank you for such a man as Paul who encouraged Timothy. Father, it appears that Timothy did get the message. Historically, we read that he went on to serve you. And yet, Father, we recognize there's a time in each one of our lives whereby we grow weak. The fear of man does bring a snare. So, Father, we pray for that strength, spiritual strength, for the power of the Spirit of God who dwells in us. We know, Lord, we cannot do it on our own. We will fall after a very short time if we rely on our own strength. But we desire, Father, that you would strengthen us with all might by your spirit in the inner man so that we may live for you in a day of darkness in a world that is contrary to your word. Help us, Father, to live for you, to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.